Next Sunday, I want to speak on a topic that I think really relates to all of us, but maybe in different ways to different people. We're all in different places. I want to really just deal scripturally with just the area of temptation and the freedom that Christ brings to us, not only from sin, but for the ongoing battle that we all deal with temptation. And it's not just temptation and things we do, but it's also just condemnation that comes from the enemy in areas of our lives where we recognize there is shortfallings or there is failure, there's disobedience, whatever. Um, I think it's really going to be a wonderful uh, word for folks to encourage you, so I encourage you to come. And uh, that's, that's next Sunday, or maybe you know somebody that's really struggling with some things. Maybe they're a believer or they're not dealing with a lot of, uh, a lot of regret, condemnation, whatever. Uh, I think the Lord will, will minister to them. John chapter 6 reading from the New Living Translation I have here, John chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 14. Uh, we read, John writes, that after this, and by the way, in case you're not familiar with John chapter 5, uh, that this that John's referring to is in chapter 5, there was a man who was actually lame. He could not walk. He was in a condition for some 38 years, and he was uh, laid by the pool of Bethesda, which was believed back in that day that all the sick would come, and they would be around the pool, and uh, if the waters began to stir or bubble, the first one that would get into that water, because they believed an angel was the one agitating the water, the first one to get in would actually be healed of whatever sickness they had. And so this man who was lame, who couldn't walk, uh, was there waiting for that sign. And Jesus happens upon him and, and basically asks him if he wants to be made well. And the man says, well, I can't, because any time that I you know, see the water stirred or whatever, I can't get there. Somebody always beats me to it. So... So Jesus tells the man to get up and to walk. He heals the man. And the man, of course, is just beside himself. He's, he's deliriously happy. But the interesting thing is, is that the religious leaders who saw that, they got really upset. And they're really upset because this man was healed on the Sabbath, which they said, according to the rules, uh, you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Uh, if you got healed, you weren't allowed to pick up your, your uh, stretcher and carry it because that's work. And so here God heals you. Uh, you know, when you think of the stupidity, you know, isn't that absolutely ridiculous? I mean, if God was the one who made the rule, then why would God heal the man? <laughs> you know, why wouldn't God say, sorry, it's a Sabbath. I'd love to heal you. I can't because I know you're going to have to pick up your mat, and I really don't want you to do that. So I'm just going to leave you there for a couple more days. How's that? I mean, you see the stupidity of religiousness. And the interesting thing the Bible says is actually it was a rule that they had. So it wasn't Scripture. It was just a rule that had been added to Scripture over the years that became such an incredible burden, as Jesus would say later, it was impossible for anybody to fulfill. So there's just this sense of hopelessness uh, in the religious circles in Jesus' day. So the issue was uh, that, 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 that Jesus was being harassed by the religious leaders for having done something on the Sabbath, having done something good. But I love what Jesus says. I think it's in verse 17 of, Matthew, of, of John chapter 5. Jesus says... You know, they said, why did you heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, because my Father is always at work. And so am I. And Jesus would say elsewhere, by the way, you know, the Sabbath wasn't, was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath to man for a purpose. And part of that purpose was refreshing. And part of that purpose was, was healing and restoration and wholeness and all those good things. But man had just so twisted that around. And that's what religion does. It just turns everything around so that it, becomes, it becomes death. And that's not what Jesus is about. But I love the words Jesus said. He said, my father is always at work. He is always working in people's lives. Even though you may not see it. It doesn't matter what day it is, what situation, how dark it may be. I want you to know God is always at work in people's lives. 
And he says, I'm doing the same thing. So that's my thoughts on those first two words after this. Let's read the rest. Jesus crossed over by the far side. I wanted to say something with the far side, but I actually, when I read that, I thought there's a scripture for the far side. Anybody who likes the comic strip, there you go. It's biblical. Jesus crossed over to that way over some heads. I understand. Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming, uh, uh, coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. But Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. So we often talk about the feet of the 5,000. There were probably 10,000, 12,000 people at least that were there in that crowd because it was 5,000 men alone. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. I'm going to ask Jamie Mills to come up for a second. Um, it just crossed my mind, well, last night, actually, when I saw the Facebook post. But for those who were here last week, you might remember that Marcia was sharing a testimony. And we've just been trying to highlight, not just individuals, but just, in essence, just what God has called us to do as his people, that wherever we are, we are salt and light. That wherever we are, that we need to be open to be used by the Lord. But not just be open, we also need to be intentional. When we wake up in the morning, when we walk through the week, through the each day, we need to be intentional in our heart to say, Lord, I want to be about your work. I know you're always at work, and I want to be at work as well. I want to be kingdom-minded. I want to be aware of what you're doing and lives that you want to touch and intersect. And whatever way I can be part of that, Lord, I'm open to do that. So that really is for all of us. And uh, so we've have, we do have some folks go on a regular basis and do ministry. Uh, but I just wanted to share the story because last week Marcia mentioned that uh, they were going to be praying for a uh, Reiki healer. And for those who are not familiar with Reiki, Reiki actually comes from Buddhism a number of years ago uh, from one of the leaders, uh, one, of the, yeah, one of the leaders in, in, the, in the Buddhist faith. Uh, and basically what it, what it uh, believes is that as a Reiki healer, you're able to channel energy uh, into a person's body that kind of connects with the flow that's already at work in their body and, and through, through certain uh, you know, mechanisms and so on, you can bring healing, physical healing in that person's body. And, of course, we understand as, as, as people of God, as people of light, we understand that when you start channeling spiritual things, uh, what you're really channeling is a lot of demonic. And so it's very common for those who move in those circles, be moving in things they don't even understand sometimes what's involved, but oftentimes they themselves become oppressed or used of demonic powers in that, in that discipline, uh, that Reiki practice. So uh, they're going to be praying for a lady who actually uh, was a Reiki healer, and I'm going to let Jamie kind of take it over. I think it was just last night you guys were, was it last night? Yeah. You guys were uh, ministering to this lady. And why don't you just give us a bit of backstory and let us know what happened. All right. Uh, first of all, wow. This morning's just the worships. Yeah. Holy Spirit's wretch. Man. 
It's all about the Father, right? Um, as you heard last week, if you were here, um, Marcy and the McCormick's, we, we've been meeting quite often. Like, uh, I go over to their place once, maybe twice a week for, for probably months now. Um, and we post a lot of it on Facebook, not so that people will, we're not trying to puff ourselves up. What it is is we're trying to let people know what's going on, and if you need prayer, send a message. And that's how this has come about. And uh, so, so anybody, like, that's, that's what the Facebook's for for us. Um, but last night, um, I worked until 7, and I went over to their place, and this, uh, this young lady was already over there with the McCormicks. And um, when I get in, we started uh, kind of telling her about the gospel, right, so that she'd understand, like, who Jesus is. And um, I asked her, I said, what is it that you're looking for? Like, what's, what is it this reeky or recky? I said, I don't really know, like, what that is. Um, I know Jesus, but this other I don't know. And she said, I just want to be able to heal people. She said, I'm trying to open up a third eye. And I said, a third eye? I said, all right. So, so Marcia continued to share the gospel with her. And after about 10 minutes, I, I said, you know what? Let's pray over you. I just, you're going to meet Jesus tonight. You're going to be delivered tonight. This third eye is going to go away. It's going to be closed. And you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to work for God. This is, this is it. Today's your birthday. This is a new day for you today. And uh, we, we stood over her and we prayed over her. And um, within literally seconds, she began to just shake. Her body began to vibrate. And um, you could feel, we prayed out this reeky spirit. And you could feel it leave her. Like literally hit us in the chest. It, it was amazing. Um, she had uh, severe anxiety that left her. Uh, she started to calm down a bit, and um, we prayed on the Holy Spirit, and she was filled. She suffered with Graves' disease, um, healed, undeniable healing. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, every time before I normally pray over somebody, I'll always say, you know, go look in the mirror. I want, I want you to look in the mirror, look in your eyes, and then when we're done, you go back and take another look. You're going to see a difference. Yesterday, I didn't do that. Um, after we were done praying, Jamie was sitting there. Because I thought, honestly, it might have been just me maybe seeing like, like what looks like. I, I describe it as a light bulb on their head. Their head looks like a light bulb. It just seems to glow after they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought it might have been just me seeing this. But Jamie McCormick was sitting there, and he looked at her, and he said, you know what? you got to go take a look in the mirror. He said, you got to go see your eyes. Like, go take a look. And she did. And when she came back, she had had surgery on one of her eyes due to the uh, Graves' disease. Um, attacks the thyroid, and um, one of her eyes was quite a bit smaller. They both were the exact same size. The scar wasn't there anymore, and her eyes were just lit up like there was no more cloud there. It was She was delivered. Um, just amazing. Uh, this, this girl now, she's experienced God, and what she was looking for all that time, now she's going to be able to go out and do it. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and we told her last night, now you, what you've wanted to do, what you've been trying to help people with through this other thing, now you have the real thing. Spirit's living in you, and it's alive, and you feel it, and she felt it. So, amen. This is for everybody. This isn't just me or the Mar Marcia and the McCormicks. Same Holy Spirit lives in all of us, everyone that's in here. Same Spirit that raised Jesus. So we're all able to do this. I encourage you guys. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie's actually a one of the newest members to our board this year, so we're delighted to have him on board. And uh, if you're interested in running for the board, all you got to do is cast out a couple demons, and that's a qualification. Right, brother? Actually, it's not. Amen. What did Jesus say? As many as believe. Amen? As many as believe. In my name. 
you will do this. And so it's a matter of stepping out. Let's go into our story here in John chapter 6. I realize our time is getting away from us, so I'm going to shave this down a little bit. Um, but I want to uh, just simply encourage us as we're moving toward, again, Easter and all that's going on then and afterward. Uh, in this story, we see the disciples are, are, <clears throat> are trying to minister to this huge crowd. Like I say, probably 10, 12,000, maybe more. We don't know. Uh, Matthew tells us that it's getting late in the day, and he actually tells Jesus, why don't you tell, tell the people to go? They've been out there all day. Uh, listen to him. He's been ministering. He's been doing miracles. He's been helping people. He's been preaching about the kingdom. Uh, it's starting to get dark, and so the, the disciples say, why don't you just tell them, Matthew 14, why don't you just tell them to go and to the surrounding villages, get something to eat, kind of you know, bed down for the night or whatever, and uh, they, don't, they don't know quite what to do. And so um, Jesus, in John's account, he turns to Philip and he says, well, what are we going to do? You know, we're going to get some food. And, and Philip basically says, look, it doesn't matter if we had, you know, a, a year's salary, there wouldn't even be enough to give these people even a little, bit, a little bit to eat. So he wasn't sure what to do either. And of course, Jesus was testing him. But Andrew speaks up and he says, well, at least we've got something here. I found a boy that has five little loaves of bread and two fish. But again, that's only a drop in the bucket. And so Jesus tells the disciples to take charge of the situation, organize the people into smaller groups that everybody can be reached. Because the reality is, before you can do anything for people, you've got to organize yourself. You can't do something for people that you can't reach. And so Jesus takes the bread, gives thanks, he gives it to the disciples, they give it to the people. The Bible says they all eat as much as they want. And then Jesus says something really peculiar. He says, now, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. In other words, don't leave the scraps on the ground. Now, have you ever read through the story and asked yourself, why? What's the big deal? Who cares? I mean, they're out in this wasteland. They're out in this desert land. Why in the world was Jesus worried about picking up all these scraps of bread that were left over? Was he worried about littering? Was Jesus ahead of his time? You know, was Jesus green? I'm sure he is, but, you know, in that time, was that the motivation? Uh, why was he worried about that? The, you know, animals probably would have picked it up. If not, it's biodegradable. And yet Jesus says to the disciples, go and pick up all the scraps so that nothing is wasted. And the Bible says the disciples go to work, and when they're done, every single one of them has a large basket full of bread left over from those small five loaves. Now, these 12 baskets have always been a mystery for a lot of Bible students. And of course, they're asking the obvious question, what do they represent? Why were there 12 baskets? Did Jesus overdo it? Did he kind of just, you know, give a bit too much power, weight, made way too much? Uh, as the bread and the, you know, fish was going through the crowd, did some people go, oh, I'm not feeling today, I'm hungry, but, you know, I've had so much fish, forget it, you know, let, let it pass by. Uh, why was there so much left over? And why, for example, would there be 12 baskets? Isn't that kind of strange? Why wouldn't there be five baskets? Why wouldn't there be 11 or 25 baskets? Why 12 baskets of leftovers? What happened? And why, again, the concern over the leftovers. Why did Jesus insist that nothing be left over? And in fact, what were they supposed to do with this bread they have left over? Well, time doesn't allow us to go through all of John chapter 6, but if you read all 71 verses, you would notice that on nine different occasions, Jesus actually refers to himself as the bread of life. Jesus has just miraculously met the physical needs of these people. He has created physical bread, and having performed that miracle, as Jesus oftentimes does, in fact, I encourage you, if you do your devotions when you're reading the Bible, don't just read a chapter. Read stories. Read events. Go on to the next chapter. And oftentimes you will see that when Jesus has done something, he will tie that into something. 
He will do a miracle and he'll use it as a metaphor, an analogy of some spiritual truth. So you kind of get the bigger picture. And Jesus, he does the same thing here. He feeds the crowd with bread. And then in verse 35, he says to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. What does that mean? In a nutshell, I think all of us are aware of the fact, whether you're in the church or outside of the church, there's a very human propensity toward trying to earn our way into heaven. What I mean by that is that the average person, even if they don't really think a whole lot about heaven, there is usually a very subconscious hope that at the end of the day when this life is over, that I will have done enough good to hopefully outweigh any bad I have done so when I get to heaven and stand before God, He will let me in. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's a basic uh, you know, mindset in the world today. Even folks who aren't religious or whatever, if you kind of push comes to shove, you ask the simple question, when you die and you stand before God and He says, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And even if it's only hypothetical, they would say something like that. They would say, well, I haven't killed anybody, haven't yada, 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 but hopefully I've done more good than I have done bad. So it's that same philosophy that's been around the world for a long, long time. That's also a reason why, as Christians, the devil will get us as believers caught up in a lot of good things that aren't great things. We, we can get into the, all these pursuits, and it's not that we can't do different things, that we can't have balance, but we can get so caught up in some things that we're really excited about, and, you know, and we, we, we post on Facebook, whatever the case may be, but they're time-consuming. They become a God to us. They become something that really gives us a reason to get up in the morning, gives us a reason to, to be happy for the day, something to look forward to. That becomes something that, again, can fill our lives with just stuff that at the end of the day isn't really worth a whole lot in the bigger picture. It can be a part of our life, but it shouldn't be all-consuming. Well, the problem with hoping that our good deeds will be enough to get us into heaven is the Bible says we have all sinned. Now, one of the reasons why people even have this desire to know that there's, you know, some way to get into heaven is because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has placed eternity into man's heart. That's why, basically, people try to seek Him anyway, even if they don't know quite what to do or how to do it, because God has put the desire there. Another Bible verse says that He's not actually far from any one of us if we seek Him. But again, the problem with this idea of hoping we do more good than bad is it doesn't address the real issue. The real issue, according to Romans chapter 3, is that every single one of us has sinned. And the only thing that our sin has earned us is death. Separation from God, from His presence in this life and eternal separation and imprisonment. When we die, we are cut off from God. So here's our dilemma. Every one of us have a desire that we can't fulfill. That's our fundamental problem. We have an appetite that we can't satisfy. That's why we try to fill it with a lot of other stuff. No matter what we do, we may subconsciously hope that everything's okay with God, that when we die, we're going to get into heaven, we do enough good, whatever the case may be. We may have that desire or hope, but we know at the end of the day, we can't do anything about it in the sense that we can't fulfill that ourselves. The Bible says that Christ alone can do that. That's where Jesus comes in. Uh, the Bible says this, that God made Jesus Christ, the word Christ is his title, he is the Savior, made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we would be made right with God through Christ. In other words, Jesus took 
the punishment of my sin upon himself in order that I could go free. And how I do that is I come before God and I acknowledge my situation. I acknowledge I have this desire that I can't fulfill. I have this hope that I can't fulfill. I have this wish that everything between me and God is okay, or especially when I die, it's going to be okay. But I know within me, there's nothing I can do to, to you know, soothe that hope. I just kind of got a hope. I, I don't really have any kind of confidence. So the Bible says what God the Father did is he sent his son Jesus, who was born as a human being like you and me in order to represent us and to represent the human race before God. He took our sin upon him when he went to the cross. The punishment that I deserve for my sin, Jesus willingly took upon himself. So my sin is charged to Jesus. That's what it means when we use the word saved, to be saved. I have somebody ask me once, what do you mean, Paul, be saved? Saved from what? Well, when you understand your situation, how you're separated from God with no hope in yourself to make it right, you realize you need intervention. We've got a lot of shows today on TV about intervention. You're helpless. If it's going to change, it's going to take somebody's intervention. That's what Jesus has done in taking my place on the cross. But the way I get saved from my situation is I must ask him to give to me the righteousness that I require to stand before God. And the only way I can do that is if I first give to him my sin. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I'm broken in my relationship with God, that I need to be saved. I've got to humble myself to do that, that I don't have it all together. And when I confess my sin, my sin is charged to Jesus, and his right standing with God is credited to me. When that happens, it's then that I understand his words when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. What does he mean? It means that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy my hunger for righteousness, who can satisfy my hunger to be right with God, to be clean before God, to be blameless before God. Jesus is my bread. And I wonder this morning, as we, as we you know, enjoyed the presence of the Lord in worship and all that was done and said this morning, I wonder what it would take to be able to satisfy the hunger of every man, woman, and child in the city of Moncton and in the surrounding areas. I don't think we're a whole lot different than the disciples as we look at our city. And we ask ourselves the question, when I see all the needs and consider all the people I rub shoulders with through the course of the week, we ask ourselves, what do we have to offer them? And friends, let me tell you, we complicate it. Because we just overthink it, we overanalyze it, we begin to ask ourselves, I believe it's just the devil putting these thoughts in our mind, but we look at our world today and we say there's so many needs, so many people, where do I even begin? Have you ever felt kind of overwhelmed, like where do I start? Uh, there's just so many needs around me, do we actually have enough? You ever think this one, would somebody actually be interested in hearing what I have to say? The disciples were only 12 men in a crowd. They probably outnumbered them 1,000 to 1. Do you realize that we live in a city in a region with probably a ratio of one professing follower of Jesus Christ to every 15 or 20 people in our city? That's not very big. The disciples, 1,000 to 1. You and me, 15, 20 to 1 for those who've never heard maybe about Jesus Christ. 
So if the disciples had enough, I want to suggest this morning that we have enough. I want to suggest this morning that what we know as followers of Jesus Christ, that what we experienced here in the presence of the Lord uh, this morning for the few moments, it is enough to satisfy the need of every man, every woman, every student, every child in the city of Moncton. Whatever the need may be, whatever the situation may be. Friends, we need to remind ourselves this morning that Jesus Christ is enough. Now, I mean that. I mean that. He is enough. You see, the devil wants us to look on the outside and just see complications. He wants us to see a mess. He wants us to see what seems to be an impossible situation. You know, a marriage that's breaking up in the workplace, a co-worker, or somebody with a sick body, or somebody that's bound by alcohol, or somebody whose lives upside down in something else, or somebody who doesn't even seem to be interested. And sometimes we feel like the disciples walking in the midst of so many needs, and we wonder, oh, you know, how could God ever use me? What, what could I ever say? What could I ever do? Friends, we have to remind ourselves Jesus can do it, and Jesus lives within us, and Jesus is enough. Jesus is what people need. The symptoms are secondary. It's an encounter with Jesus Christ, with the living God. He is enough. And remember this, as we saw in John chapter 5, he's always working. Despite what you may see or not see, despite what sign you're looking for, he says, I assure you, I am always working, even on Sundays. And if the fact remains that there's thousands of people in our cities who have not been fed, with all the preaching, all the singing, all the programming, everything you can think of in half-empty churches, the question I want to ask us this morning is what are we doing with everything we've received? What are we doing with all the leftovers after we have been fed, after we have been encouraged, after we've received what we feel like we may need. John says that Jesus asked Philip what they're going to do, and of course, Jesus knew already. He said, what are you going to do for everyone to get a little bit of bread? In Matthew's account, again, it's the disciples who suggest that Jesus send the crowds away. But Jesus says, that's not necessary. That's not necessary. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to feed them. You're going to feed them. Think of it. That's essentially what the Lord says to you and me. We look at our culture, we look at our situation, whatever it may be, our neighbor, our workplace, and some of us have kind of just disconnected from it altogether. We feel like, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be a secret agent for the Lord. You know, I'm not going to offend anybody, but I'm not going to tell anybody. You know, I'm not going to, you know, cause any ripples. I'm just going to just kind of try to, you know, live my witness, and there's a place for that as well. But Jesus says, you feed them. I have done everything that needs to be done on my side. I provide you with everything you need to do what I've told you to do. But you have to go feed them. I want to ask us this morning, and I want you to think about this. Is there only enough for those of us who come together and worship God on Sunday? Or does the Lord have something for your neighbor, for that person that he's brought across your path, for that classmate at school. Because if there is, in fact, more than enough for us when we come together, then the question is, what are we doing with the leftovers? What are we doing with all that we receive? Sunday after Sunday, 
or whatever venue you may use to be fed spiritually. There's enough gospel, I believe, preached in this city alone on any given Sunday to reach every single person in our province every week. Sunday after Sunday, sermon after sermon, program after program, that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, how much of it do we just leave behind? How much do we leave on the pew? We come and we want to be fed, and we make no apology for being fed. That's part of coming together. But once we're fed, what do we do with all the leftovers we have? Do they lay on the pew? Do they lay on the floor? Do they lay in the hallway? Do they just rot through the week? What do we do with all the leftovers? Because the reality is there are so many people. When you take what might be eight or 10,000 people every Sunday who gather together in a church somewhere in our city or surrounding area to worship the Lord, just think that there are 10 times or 15 or 20 times more that amount of people who weren't there to get anything, who weren't there to hear, who weren't there to sense the presence of God, who weren't there to enjoy what we enjoyed. I want you to notice that Jesus not only takes care of the needs of those who gather to hear him teach, he fed them, he healed the sick, but to his own followers who witnessed the miracles, Jesus takes that basket of bread, he places it in front of each one of them, and then he doesn't say anything. It just seems like he allows the basket to speak for itself and probably wondering what each of the disciples would do. And at the end of the day, the Bible isn't clear exactly what the disciples did, but I think what is clear is that it's meant to be an object lesson. I think the object lesson for the disciples was simply this, that there are people who aren't here who are waiting for bread. And the object lesson for us, I think, this morning is simply this. Whatever we may think a Christian is, at the end of the day, in its simplest form, every single one of us here this morning, as Jamie said, every one of us are called to one simple task. We're called to carry bread. That's all we're called to do. We're just called to receive, to take what we have received so freely, and we're called to give it away. We're called to share what we have received. I mean, isn't that kind of human nature? You know, when, when there's something you really, really like, you know, if there's only one piece left. Remember growing up? You know, whatever it was you liked of mom's cooking or the cookie or the cake, or, there's one piece left, right? And what did you do? Whether or not you ate it at that moment, you made sure that your brother or sister didn't get it. I mean, mom, if she wants it, okay. She made it, dad, okay, he's stronger. But if anybody else is going to get it, it's going to be me. But if you've got a whole pan in there, you're glad to share it. And friends, when we come together in the house of God and we consider the things that God pours into our lives on a daily or weekly basis, I mean, if God was skimpy, you know, if Jesus was selfish and only gave us a little bit, just enough for us, just a little bowl of spiritual rice, then maybe we could understand. But how many understand that he always gives us above and beyond anything we can ask or imagine? He is a God of abundance. He is a God of overflowing. He is a God of multiplication. So when he gives to us, that's why he says, come and eat. He doesn't say, come and pick. He doesn't say, come and nibble. He says, there's a table spread where the saints of God are fed, and he invites his chosen people, come and dine. That's why Christians like buffets. It's not unspiritual. I want you to understand that. Be free. Enjoy the buffets. It's a kingdom principle. God wants you to have a buffet. Now, the difference is in buffets, you can't take the extra home with you. But in the kingdom, you can. 
You can come and feast and enjoy and bask in it. The Lord says, enjoy it. Fill yourselves. Fill yourselves, Scripture says over and over again, with an abundance of fear the Lord has created for you. But when you're done, don't just think of yourself. Don't just, just, don't just put a little bit in your pocket for, for later. You know, you kind of get the Lord's hopes up. Oh, we, oh, they're taking some with them. They're going to share. No, it's for later in case I'm hungry again. Give it away. Share what the Lord has given to you. We really do make a conscious effort here at Glad Tidings. We don't always hit a home run, but we really do make an effort to ensure that we're not only feeding you as God's people, but that you're being nourished. Because there's a difference. Uh, you know, whether it's church or ministries, whatever. I mean, you can be fed, but sometimes it can be just filler. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of filler out there. But it's different to actually feed and to be nourished, and that really is something that we, that we want to make sure we do. But at the end of the day, what will we do with it all? And I don't speak just to you. I speak to us as pastoral staff and as church leaders because when we come together, we are nourished and we break bread with you and we are encouraged and the Lord ministers to us as well. But what will we do with what we receive? Do we leave it behind us or do we gather it up and take it to share? Last Sunday night, we were really encouraged. We had a great night with the couples here for the You and Me Forever. But before the... Uh, people arrived, a few of us were going through the pews and just kind of cleaning up, and we had set the tables up and getting ready for the couples to arrive, and we were going through the pews, and I got I to admit that, that Chris and I felt a little bit discouraged. Now, I asked Kristen to pray for me because I want to be tactful in how I share this, but um, we were going through the pews just on the main floor alone, didn't get to the balcony, didn't need it for Sunday night, we were going through the pews, we were just kind of picking up the garbage, it's funny some of the stuff you guys leave behind. And I don't know who is clipping their nails, but please stop, okay? Now, you would never have any idea of some of the stuff we find. I mean, am I that boring? <laughs> I just kind of picture me waxing eloquent, someone going, really? You know? No, you, you have no idea. So we're going through picking up the litter. But you know what? With the litter, we also collected about 150 of these. You hear me this morning? <laughs> now, I know some of you took these last week because these are meant to be, you know, to go with you. And some of you took them. But I'm just guessing that some of you didn't. <laughs> A whole lot of some of you didn't. And I know some of you got them at the door as well. But I want us to understand that even if you did pick up a card and take it home with you, this card is not meant to be a reminder to you of what time the services start and what's going on for you, right? This is meant to be an invitation. Not a reminder, it's an invitation to give to somebody who wasn't here. Does that make sense? Are you feeling kind of guilty? It's a Pentecostal church you're supposed to. That's how we work. Okay, you feel guilty, right? But that's what it's meant to be. The point being, even if you took one, that's great. But take a lot. Take three or four in the pew. Take four or five going out the door, whatever it may be. Why? Because this is meant to be going into the hands of somebody who's not here to get the bread on a Sunday morning on a regular basis. This is meant to be in the hands of somebody the Lord will lay upon your heart who is hungry and the Lord knows who that person is. The Lord wants to use you to touch that life. Well, I've got to finish. I have a clipper I want to show in just a second. Uh, Someone has said, uh, men do not rebel against the idea of God. Men rebel against the will of God. 
the will of God. And if there's one thing I've learned over the years in walking with the Lord, it's that if you hear him speak to you, if you hear him prompt you, and you ignore him, then the next time he speaks, it becomes a little easier to ignore him again. You ever discover that? And pretty soon, if you're not careful, you have this habit of hearing the word of God without any real practical response. And that's a real danger for us as believers. You say, what do I do? What you do is what is called assumed action. Assumed action. What that means is, how different would life be for the believer? How different would the impact of the church be in our community if instead of us waiting for God to stir us to do something he has already revealed in his word to do, if instead we assume to just do it until he stops us? Let this sink in. So rather than being stirred to share, to invite, to minister, to be used to the Lord, rather than waiting to stir, if Jesus has already said, go in my name, make disciples, for those who believe in my name they will. And we say, Lord, I may be naive, but I'm just going to do what you say to do unless you tell me not to. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful for your children as they're growing up if they just did the stuff they know they're supposed to do and you never have to tell them again? And in fact, they did it so well that once in a while they say, hey, 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 that's okay. You don't have to make your bed this morning. You don't have, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, you know what? That's a sign of maturity, right? You just do the things you know that you should do. That's called assumed action. And I want to encourage us when it comes to uh, the events we mentioned coming up over Easter, just to assume that the Lord wants you to invite every person you meet. Isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, you may feel prompting, not this person. You know, maybe they got a gun or something. The Lord says, it's okay. You know, wait till Christmas. But just to assume what the Lord, that the Lord would have you do those things. I'm going to close with just a little video clip here from uh, Penn Gillett. How many are familiar with Penn and Teller? Penn and Teller, yeah, a great... Uh, 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 magical act and very, very talented men. But Penn Jellett is actually uh, a magician. He's a comedian. Uh, he's actually a, a published atheist. He's an atheist by confession and a uh, very nice guy, but didn't have a whole lot of time for religion. He's written two books, actually. One is called God Know, uh, Signs You May Already Be an Atheist, and Every Day is an Atheist Holiday. I don't recommend them to you, but they are clever titles. Very intelligent man, seems to be a very considerate man, but he has his own reasons for not believing in God. Anyways, what came to my mind when preparing the message for this morning was a couple years ago, he actually did a YouTube post, and it was just coming off a show. So you can see he's kind of still dressed, let his hair down, and, uh, and he just goes right to his computer and records something that really touched him as an atheist. And so just to set this up, it's after his show, he's probably in his changing room or whatever, he's got his computer open, and he says, I just got to tell you something that happened. And uh, it's about four, four and a half minutes long, I think. This is uh, Penn Gillett. We'll just let you see it. You know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably You're about okay. my age. Big guy. And um, 
he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh... How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me. Uh, not very personal, but just sort of like... Thanks so much. You get the gist of the idea? Amen? The Lord can speak through an atheist? Just listen to his words once again. If you believe there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell and you think it's not worth telling people this because it could be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's true. 
Amen. We're going to uh, wrap up with this last song. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask the ministry team if you would just come, if you're near the aisle, if you can just come and maybe just sit in the front pew. We want to give opportunity for ministry to anybody here this morning who needs prayer for sickness, or maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, and you say, I just felt his presence this morning. I want to know how I know him. We want to talk with you, pray with you before you go. Uh, we're here to do that. But uh, as the song is being played by Casting Crowns, it's called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. I just want to ask you to, to do a simple thing. I want to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to lay somebody upon your heart, if he hasn't already, that he wants you to invest in, that he wants to use you to invest in, and maybe even invite this coming weekends or whatever it may be, but you'd say, Lord, I don't really have a burden for the lost or nobody comes to my mind. Would you just allow the Holy Spirit to drop that into your heart? And then secondly, would you just commit to the Lord, Lord, I'm not quite sure how, but as you open the door, as you lead me, as you show me, I will step out. I will step out. Or maybe you're here this morning, you know, as the believer, you're just caught up in so many pursuits. They're going to be bad things, but they really distract you from what's most important. And you're just consumed with some things. You're just involved in some things. But you're not in the kingdom. You're not kingdom-minded. I just want to invite us to be closed with this song, and you're free to, to leave after the song is played. Then I want to ask us to just allow the Holy Spirit to deal with our heart. Can we do that as we just listen to these? If you want to close your eyes, you can hear the words. If you want to watch the words, you can do that as well. We're just going to finish our service with that, with this song.